This episode brought to you by nobody. You should probably figure that out by now. It's an episode about loneliness and depression. I apologize for the bad joke. Sincerely apologize. But I thought about it and I said it's a stupid joke. I couldn't resist. I said don't do it. It's in bad taste. And I said, but it's a bad joke and I can't resist them. So on to the episode. And I'll talk about what we talked about last time. But it's talking about what's wrong with you in terms of loneliness and depression. You, of course, being me because this episode, this podcast is kind of about my vantage point from the bottom of a shell hole about loneliness and depression from a 36-year-old blue-collar worker in South Carolina. And it's just kind of documenting everything that's going on, especially as I've discovered as I get older, becoming more lonely. And this is from somebody who wasn't always that way. I'd had periods earlier in my life where I was kind of lonely. I'll talk about that later. But I wasn't – I'd had friends. I have a network and now I'm looking around and it's almost like a game of musical chairs. In my 36th year, I look around and the music stopped and I'm the only one standing. Kind of a weird feeling. But what, last time I started to talk about what's wrong with you, but you being me, saying what part do I play in this thing? What do I contribute to this, this mess? And I, I kind of look at it, and it's important to do that because it's very easy. It's a human thing, and we all as humans do it. We love to point fingers. It's our number one favorite activity. But it's very hard to turn the finger back on yourself. And, I, and I've had to look at things in my life, and I've asked people about it, and they've given me criticism. And you have to be able to take it. And, and strive because they're they're showing you something because you can't see yourself. Even if you put a mirror up to your face, you can't see how others see you. You can only see how you see you. It makes it a little more difficult, a little more nuanced, a little more complex. So I want to continue in that vein where I said, where do I fit in the problem? Where, you know, may, maybe it might be my stern demeanor. Maybe it might be the fact that. I don't know. I shy away from crowds now. Or, and moving on to the solution. Where do I fit in in the solution? Now, if I ever say I have the solution to loneliness and depression, after I've gone on and on about nuance and how nobody's loneliness and depression is the same because everything's volatile, everything's complex. If I ever say I have the solution, you should turn this podcast off and throw your phone out the window. Just saying. So I'm only speaking for myself. Obviously not a medical professional. Blah, blah, blah. You know this already. The idea of uh, where do you factor in your solution? Because the, the same way you have to see yourself as active in the problem, you have to be active in the solution. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. And it's kind of funny because you read books and you read sources and certain things stick out and they resonate. They just stick in the back of your head like a tick. In the woods, and you just cannot pull it off. If you've ever had a tick, they do not come off unless you have pliers, matches, Vaseline, but it, it just sticks. And I was reading a book called Nice Guys Finish Last, and the guy was talking about, you know, men and their issues, and he talked about how nice guys like to see themselves as victims. And it's very easy to blame somebody, but it says, well, what are you going to do in response to that? You have to be able to accept your reality, but now what are you going to do in response to that? And that really stuck with me because it's very easy to say, well, this person did that, that person did that. And when I talk about what people have done to me, I'm not talking about people who I'm angry at. These are friends and relationships that I had and valued and am thankful for. 
My main point is, I'm a bit sad they're not there anymore, though. That's the thing that's getting me. I'm like, why did they disappear? Because the people in my life who just ghosted on me and left and everything, yeah, there's a bit of being stunned at it. And you, it's hard to say the word hurt because it sounds like you're weak. But you know, it is what it is. But there is, a, on the same thread, a thankfulness for them being in my life for the time that they were there. And it's wondering, why did it have to end the way it did? Why did it end at all? And where are the people to fill in that gap now, going forward? Once those people kind of pass through, like the mist, who comes in? So I wanted to talk about this and idea of, of a solution and seeing yourself as active in the solution, yourself being me. So when I say you, I mean me because I can't speak to your situation. because, And unfortunately, we can't see each other or talk because I – listen, we sat across from a table. We'd be bouncing all kinds of crazy stuff off. We'd probably blow each other's minds and be like, oh my god, you go through that? That's nuts. And I could blow your mind and vice versa. So I'll go into the first thing, you know. The thing I want to talk about today is, is it's a weird one. And I, I bounce this off of family members because I say my set of loneliness is that I don't have any friends. I don't have any people in my life other than family. I'm blessed to have family. You know what? Because my family disparate and spread all over the place. That being said, I apologize for somebody calling a telemarket or whatnot. I'm blessed to have family around, so I can bounce it off my parents, who I've been close with. Uh, my grandmother, who I was close with until she passed, that was one of the things that sent me on a spiral of depression because she was one of the closer people in my life because very much like her. I'm my mom, my dad, my siblings, I have them around, but I'm aware that outside of that, I don't really have anybody. And so when I talk to people, and they always see, and they'll say this, and it's meant in good faith, and you have to take it as good faith. You can't just take it as all oh, they're just dissing me, taking a shot. Have you extended yourself? Have you made yourself available to be somebody's friend? Extending yourself, obviously, when you think about that, it means putting yourself in a position so somebody can, quote unquote, befriend you, or you know, put yourself in a situation where you can make friends. And I brought this up before. I said, how does one make friends in 21st century America? It seems bizarre. I, I, and I'm only speaking from my vantage point. Some of you may have mastered it. And maybe there's a third way. Maybe there's some alchemy that I'm unaware of. So when I think of extending yourself, I think of putting yourself out there. The issue that I have is that it is a, good, it is a solution. The problem is it's a little more complex than that. You see, extending yourself only works from my vantage point if reciprocation is there. I apologize. You see, I'm a new podcaster, big mistake, is recording it on your phone, especially when you try to start your own trucking business. It's just disastrous because trucking is full of solicitors and people who just want to take your money. To take your money and they want to you want your business, it's... Utterly unbelievable. It's like being shelled in a World War I battlefield. If I'm stuck on World War I, sorry. I've been listening to Dan Carlin. But back to what I was saying about extending yourself. It only works if you receive reciprocation, you see? Because you can extend yourself as much as you like. But the truth of the matter is, if that person doesn't reciprocate, you're basically back to square one. Or, in fact, even worse, square zero. And... And, it, and the problem with that is if you put yourself out there, because uh, let me give you an example, okay? Uh, one example from my other life when I had friends was, okay, I used to be a club rat. I love nightclubs, especially in Europe. They're fantastic, my God. 
So I, I was in the, the army, and then on weekends, you know, we would do our thing. But we go out to nightclubs, and these big nightclubs. And there's this dynamic there in nightclubs, especially for a younger guy, young, single guy, in the States or in Europe. One of the things you have to do is you have to leap across the Marianas Trench between you and a girl. A girl you've never met, you've never spoken to, you just lay eyes on her. You know nothing about her. She could be absolutely psychotic, but you don't know that. But you have to leap across this trench. And of course, if you're a guy, you've ever been there before, it's every dance, it's every social gathering, it's the walking across the room. It's the very obvious intent to talk to this person. You are extending yourself in the most vulnerable fashion because it's not as if you can bring all your degrees and all your certifications and go, by the way, listen, I make this much money a year and I have this and this and this degree and this qualification. And by the way, I have a gold watch and I drive a this. You get none of that with you. The only thing you can sell is what you can sell about you at that moment. I liken it to bungee jumping out of a plane from 20,000 feet, and at the very bottom of the jump is a, nuke, is a bomb you have to disarm and cut the right wire before the rubber snaps back up. It's high risk, high rewards, and you are running on a blade. It's unnerving. Thinking about it now, I go, man. So you walk across the floor, and I would go there, and you know, you'd see the woman, and you'd go to her, and you'd be cool, and you go, excuse me, and I, I'd spit my little corny line, my corny line being... And I'll share my secret. Excuse me. I, I not, see you having fun. I'm not, I'm not trying to bother you. Listen, I would feel terrible. And I'd hate myself if I ever left this place without telling you you're the most beautiful woman in this room. That's it. That's all I wanted to say, and I'm not apologizing for it. Now, you have about a two-second window where you will get an indication of whether you're good, you're eh, or you're out. Sometimes the girl goes, ah, not interested, and turn around and blow you off. And then the other times, she'll go, oh, that's sweet. I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm just being manipulative, but if you call it sweet, go for it, <laughs> right? Or the other times, she'll be kind of lukewarm on it. But the time where you get contact, where that person looks at you and they smile, and they give you an indication that you're not totally an unwelcome parasite or an unwelcome vermin, you feel like it was worth it. That high risk was somewhat worth it. And then there's a time where the girl, and I've had women, who've just given you the brush off, and it's in the most condescending manner. You don't know if this girl's a waitress at Waffle House, but she's in this club right now. She happens to be very beautiful, and she gives you the brush off, and you might be leaving that place going, did I just get brushed off by a Waffle House waitress? You don't know, but you feel like you've been brushed off by Catherine the Great. You're like, oh my God. And that rejection, that non-reciprocation, that can be such a, a record scratch momentum killer. And it goes with the same thing with trying to reach out to people. Because it could just kill your momentum. Because some guys don't take that rejection very well. I'd be in a group of guys and some guys you'd go back and you'd talk and the girl would kind of just go, whatever. Or she'd talk to her other male friend who was there who you're trying to weasel him out because he's just in the way, right? And you'd walk back. And you'd be like, hey, here's what it is. She didn't want to talk. Weird thought. Weird sidetrack. Have you ever thought, especially if you've ever talked to somebody, tried to talk to them in a nightclub, and it didn't work out, maybe that person was the one. You just were in the wrong position. 
Maybe you could have talked to them five seconds later and they would have been receptive and your life would have been so, it's so, but it's so bizarre. The butterfly effect stuff. It drives you crazy. But some guys, they take that rejection, they internalize it. It hits them. You can see them. It, crestfallen isn't the word. They're crushed by it. And you can see it, it kind of doubles back around with this sort of vitriol, you know. F those girls, you know, they're stuck up or this or that. It's like, oh, listen, they, they, they didn't want to talk to you. They're the commodity. They run the market. <laughs> you knew that going in. And, you know, some people, they, they just take it as, hey, it is what it is. But other people, they take it so hard and you can see them just, they, they almost go into a defensive crouch and they go to the bar and they drink. It's the same thing with being lonely, right? If you extend yourself to somebody to make friends and you already have four or five friends and that person kind of blows you off and just ignores you and kind of treats you like you're not there, you're kind of like, okay, whatever. But if you only got one poker chip, you're going all in. You get rejected. You feel that one loss of that one chip. If you have a thousand chips and you lose a hundred, you go, I, got, I still got 900. That's why the extending thing is so dicey. And especially from my vantage point, because if you have extended yourself and you've been burned, you can feel that burn a lot more succinctly. It's certain things land with more potency than others. If I had 15 friends and I reached out to this guy and says, hey, we'll hang out and do this and that, I'd be like, okay. But then they blew me off. I, I, I wouldn't take it as bad. If you've ever watched, um, and I, I'm sorry to use metaphors, I love them. You ever watch World War II documentaries? You ever watch bombing raids, right? And you see the bombs, and the bombs drop from the planes, and they go boom, 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 boom. Certain times in certain raids, and you've, read, you've ever read pilot accounts, certain bombs will just, one bomb will hit a gas line or something, and all of a sudden, everything will go. Sometimes that's what rejection is like, especially if you don't have anybody. It's magnified. It's like, oh my God, it's now a Category 5 bomb. And so the one thing about not re receiving reciprocation for me has, has been a defensive crouch. I am now less likely to extend myself. And especially when I start to feel the non-reciprocation, I immediately have this kind of crab going under a shell type of defense. I just go, Ksh. you've seen the Disney thing. It's kind of funny. I, I can give you an example from my life. So I used to go to this little... Baptist church, and I used to teach Sunday school. I see Sunday school to the teenagers and do their teen church. Yes, it's as bad as you think it is. It's disastrous. Yes, I'm teaching 15, 16, and 17-year-olds who have no idea who Alexander the Great is, and I'm trying to teach them. But, you, but the one thing that I realized was I extended myself quite a bit. I would be in the truck. I used to drive night shift hauling fuel, hauling gas, and tanker. And I would think in my mind, how can I make this lesson more philosophically palatable to them. How could I work this? How could I, how could I make sure I do my due diligence as a teacher? And the funny thing was, I would work that Saturday night all the way to four in the morning, get home, sleep for an hour, then go there to teach them. And the one thing that I started noticing, and it started to be, started to prey on my mind, was that these kids really didn't care. I used to have a group of teens way back that, that we, they were along for the ride and they were down. They were ride or die. And I, still to this day, you see them, I'll give them a hug. These, this new group was kind of disdainful. They would just kind of show up when they wanted to, didn't really care. I'd always have to correct them. They're teenagers, obviously, right? They're semi-adults. 
And then, and I would teach the young adults and, and these classes and people were just kind of like treating it like whatever. Finally, one Sunday, it was like, I felt the bomb hit. The one bomb that just seemed like it was the, I just hit one Sunday. And then I just walked in. And then I decided I was just, I was done. I, so I came in, nobody was there. I quit all three of them. I just walked out that church and never went back. I felt it because, you know, extending myself felt like I was wasting my time. I did not want to get burned. I've been through this before and I immediately had a reaction where I said, oh, no, I'm being taken advantage of. My goodwill, my, my good faith is being taken advantage of. My caring about this, my caring, my life energy is being taken advantage of. And also, to counterpoint that, I used to do nursing home services before this pandemic thing just shut all nursing home down. So I'd go once a month to these nursing homes, right? And I would play piano for them, and our church group would go there, and it's such a funny difference. When you, maybe it's an older person thing. Maybe it's a person who's not been rewired or reprogrammed by having a device in front of your face all the time. Something about that gives you a different energy because you go there and you see those people and some of those people, they've been through just some heck. And listen, lonely, nursing homes, I don't know if you've ever been, are by nature lonely places, okay? It's where your family says, we can't care for you. We're going to put you in a home. The idea of not being able to die at home with family is utterly alien to me. I can't even imagine what people in nursing home go through. So trust me, I've been around nursing homes my whole life. My dad has delivered medicine their whole life. I know these people. So it's kind of funny when you know those people. And one thing, they're so appreciative. Because after, you know, the sermon will shake their hands. And they always grab with both hands. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. And you feel that connection, that bond. And, and the weird thing, about, obviously, about nursing home is that people die so You'll go the next time and that person won't be there. You miss them. Versus, a counterpoint, the teenagers who you'll do this lesson and teach and they're just bored. And they're teens. What are they supposed to do? After you dismiss from class, it's kind of a side point. They'll lighten up because guess what? The cell phone calls. The cell phone beckons. And so you see, what, what about extending yourself? Are you putting yourself in positions and, and maybe it's just what nature of my work is. Trucking is by nature a lonely job. It, it is because, you know, you can have coworkers, but you're going to be in a cab by yourself for extended periods of time. And you may interact with a forklift driver and a yard person here. But it's by nature a lonely profession. So I don't help myself with that. But I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't, because I do love trucking. There are parts of trucking that I hate, trust me. There are parts, the, the corporate bureaucrats, the know-nothings who somehow sit astride this world that I live in, it's unbelievable. Their foolishness is will make your skin crawl. But I do love trucking. But I, I, maybe it's the way our communities are. We don't, our communities don't form the way it used to. Because I, I remember being in New Jersey because there, we used to know guys who drove trucks, but they had like men's softball leagues. And leagues where people could get together and play sports and you could bring all these people from these different walks of life and they would bring around this common interest like softball. I used to watch softball games in New Jersey all the time, all night. And you would see this thing. You see it because if you've ever played sports in your life or ever been in the military, that's something that really bonds you together. Because sports and going through military training, I was infantry, I went to ranger school, I spent 
four months in ranger school. In fact, I, I can remember certain memories. I was with the number one graduate at West Point that year, and we were in a trench together getting rained on, singing our Kelly songs. It was just one of the weirdest experiences. He was a great guy. We sat there and we connected because, one, we were both together in this. We had to be together in this. We were both getting rained on, and we both needed to find something to kind of distract our minds from the misery. And that's what the military was. That's where a lot of my friends came from was just being thrown into the mix. And the funny thing was, and I go back to that point I made about the nightclub, you know, what if the person that, you know, rejects you at the club was supposed to be the one? It's the funny thing is that being in those situations, most of the people who became close friends of mine were actually people I didn't like initially. It wasn't a overwhelmingly positive impression where I was like, that's a great person. Let's hang out together and be buddies. It's like, no, this person's a jerk. I literally, I can name names of people who I literally thought, he's a dork, he's a jerk, I don't care for him. Or they, or this, or this female, I didn't get along. Actually, you know, we're just buddies. It's, it's weird how life does that, right? So, like I said, I, I'm going to stop for today because, like I said, I, I'm, my brain's starting to go down different notes, different rabbit holes. And so, it's interesting to think about, you know. How do you have, do we extend ourselves? How do we extend ourselves in this modern age? I mean, you know, if you've ever read the black, about the black death, bubonic plague, you know, ring around the rosy disease, you know, back in the 13, 1400s, the one thing that happened was it just utterly crushed their civilization and people stayed away from each other. Especially now. What's, what's the answer to everything? Stay away from each other. Don't talk. Don't shake hands. Don't hug. Don't be around people. Listen, the one thing we need is people, and they're telling us not to be around people. Listen, whatever you do, and that I mean, that's really bothering me too because I haven't been in my nursing home services in four months. You know, people that see you, and they always say, oh, you're coming back? I say, you know I'm coming back. And all of a sudden, pandemic hits, and they shut everything down. Everybody in masks. You can't go around people. I mean... I don't even want to see the, the tab for the psychological damage it's going to do to our society because you, I can, you can feel it. It's, I, was, I was just in New Jersey. You can just feel people's kind of being on edge. There's, there's a nervous energy where we need to be around each other. And especially if you've gone through loneliness or depression, you can vouch for how, what it's like to have people around you and in your life, how it feels. I mean... I think about people, even the bad times. You would take the bad times just to have times versus just having nobody. Now, before I end, like I said, you know, and there are people, you know, like I said, and I've been on the internet, you know, listen, not all I, listen, I like being alone. Being alone with my thoughts is a good thing. There are positives to, positive aspects. I don't want to say there's positives per se because we are by nature communal. I mean, listen, but being alone, one of the things, it helps me to kind of think about stuff for this podcast. <laughs> it's kind of ironic, right? A podcast about loneliness, being alone, helps me make a podcast. But I've noticed that you can organize your thoughts more clearly. You can really discover who you are in isolation. Because who you are in isolation and who you are in a social setting are very different people, right? Your brain operates differently. I've noticed that for me, you know? I'm thoughtful. Because when I'm around a crowd of people, I'm hilarious. You know, I just, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I don't play the horn. I play the piano, by the way. But it's interesting because I, I'll just 
gravitate toward people's funny bones and start hitting on it and just whacking on it, right? But there are positives. And even just thinking about the solution, I don't know where I'm going with this point. Because I, I, I just went down the point, the road, and all of a sudden the road disappeared. Now I'm in the middle of a field. But like I said, and I'll continue this next episode, is pushing towards this solution and looking at different aspects of it. Because, you know, like I said, we've talked about extending yourself. It's a little more complex than just putting yourself out there because there's, it's a high-risk, high-reward game. And sometimes extending yourself and not getting reciprocated can just kill momentum. and It, it can actually drive you further into the bunker and make it harder to come back out when it's actually real. Because you're not going to trust it because you've already been burned. Listen, you burn, burn me enough times. I'm not going to get burned again. I don't care how you sell it. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. Like I said, if you're feeling down, I don't have any comforting words. Because we've all been there. We know what it's like. If you're supposed to take medication or talk to somebody or activities, whatever. Do what must be done. Like I said, never stare up the stairs, step up the steps, and we will catch you on the flip side.